turn to Luke 14. My name is Jeremy Holdsworth, and I'll be doing the scripture reading this morning. Luke 14, verse 25. And let's stand together. Verse 25, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You may be seated. Let's take a few moments to reflect on God's word. Last week I listened to an interesting, I would maybe even say provocative, somewhat provocative podcast. Here was the title of it. An Uncomfortable Conversation About IVF. That's in vitro fertilization. An uncontrolled conversation about IVF, surrogacy, gay adoption, and divorce. I mean, you just know from the title, it is going to be an uncomfortable conversation. And the podcast was an interview with a lady named Katie Faust, who's the founder of a children's rights advocacy organization in On her website, this is what she says, we prioritize the needs of children before the needs of adults. We prioritize the needs of children before the needs of adults in every conversation about marriage, conception, adoption, and divorce. So when it comes to those areas, they prioritize. She, her organization, prioritizes the needs of children above the the needs of adults. And Faust has a simple phrase, which is the name of our organization and also captures the mission of our organization and also serves as like a template. So when you get into these very uncomfortable conversations, you need some grid to to look through to make decisions. And that phrase is them before us, them before us. So for Katie and her organization, in, in an area that has a lot of complexity and competing desires, the, the priority in conception, adoption, and divorce is given to the children, not the adult. So, for example, in adoption, the child is the client, not the adult. Just turning that around to say we're, we're first putting the needs of the child first, not, not the adult. And thus her mission statement, them before us. Now, it's not a sermon about that topic, and you can listen to the podcast yourself and decide where there might be areas of agreement or you might push back. 
But I believe Jesus was saying something similar in our text this morning. Which is, if you plan on being a disciple of Jesus, then there must be priorities in your relationships. Actually, there must be priorities in all areas of your life. And that priority is always Jesus. So Jesus over other people. No matter how close you are to other people, no how much how much you love the other people, in every relationship, Jesus comes first. Jesus before other, uh, Jesus before yourself. No matter how much you love yourself, no matter what your personal desire is, if Jesus has a different desire, Jesus first, and Jesus over other things. How much you love other things or feel like you need other things, Jesus comes first in all those areas. So I would title my sermon this way, thinking about Katie Faust and her organization, Him Before Them. And that them includes you, me, things, other people. So that's the title of my sermon, Him Before Them. It doesn't mean the other things aren't important. It just means when we come to prioritizing what comes first, it's him. He's first, and them, me, material things, other people, other relationships, they're always going to take a a second seat or a lower seat. So we're going to see three things, him before them in your and my relational world, him before them in terms of our emotional world, and him before them in terms of our material world. So let's look at the text here. We see at verse 25, once again, Luke's pointing out the great crowds. He's trying to help you see the setting. And I've said this before, Jesus is in his third year of ministry and he's trending. People people know about Jesus. People are following after Jesus. He's drawing these great crowds. And you get the feeling from these three statements that Jeremy read for us this morning You get the feeling in these three statements, he's trying to thin out the crowd. I mean, he's he's trying to make sure that that he's not looking for fans. He's looking for real followers. And and it's fine if you're in the crowd and you're walking along, but it's going to come down to you making a decision of not just being a fan... But are you really following after Jesus? Are you, as the Bible so often says, are you walking the walk? Or are you just a fan? You're just, oh, yeah, yeah. He's looking for followers. I don't think anyone could accuse Jesus of soft-selling what it really means to be a disciple here. It's, it's not as, as if Jesus has this brochure that's learned to follow Jesus. And on the back in the small print, he puts the real tough details. But it's rainbows and ponies on the front. And you've got to get to the small print. Oh, I didn't realize there was going to be quite a cost. That's not how Jesus does it. He puts the hard stuff up front. There's an acronym used in the military, and sometimes it's picked up in business or with writers. It's called BLUFF. Have you ever heard of it? B-L-U-F. BLUFF. Bottom line, up front. Bottom line up front. I mean, when I'm writing a blog, I just want to put the bottom. It's about this. If I'm going to have a hard conversation, I want to say, it's going to be a hard conversation. It's about this. 
and then we can talk. It's not the sandwich model, which a lot of you are familiar with, are you not? Say something nice, say something hard, say something nice, sandwich. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's putting bottom line up front. Front of brochure, it's going to cost. Title of his brochure, me before you. Me before everything. I love how J.C. Ryle put it in his classic book titled Holiness. And in his book, he has a title, uh, the title of the chapter is called The Cost. It does cost something to be a real Christian. There are enemies to be overcome, battles to be fought, sacrifices to be made, an Egypt to be forsaken, a wilderness to be passed through, a cross to be carried, and a race to be run. Conversion is not putting a man in an armchair and taking him easily into heaven. It is the beginning of a mighty conflict, which will cost much to win. Discipleship and counting the cost is so important to Jesus that he waits until he gets his biggest crowd to make sure the most people understand. And he says it just as clearly as a surgeon cutting an opening. He gives you two very simple, easy-to-understand illustrations. So if you're me and you're a visual learner and you need the information on the bottom shelf, you can't miss it. And if you're an audible learner, he makes three very clear statements. It's just something you can't possibly miss. You see the first illustrations, verse 31 and verse 28. If a king's going off to war and the king has 10,000 soldiers, he finds out the king he's going to war against has 20,000, what's that guy going to do? I'm going to count the cost. I mean, I don't know. Maybe 10,000 can beat 20 because some, for some reason, but probably not. So I want to I sit down. Before I get engaged in the battle, I want to sit down and I want to count the cost. The other illustration is about a tower. You want to build a big tower. And you look around and you might say, well, I have, the, I, have, I have the energy and I have the money to start the tower, but I don't want to build like sort of two-story tower and then run out of time or run out of money. Interestingly, in Scotland today, there's an unfinished tower that sits on a beautiful hillside. It was started in 1890 by John McCraig. It's probably about two stories high. It's a wall, looks like a Roman Colosseum. And he intended it to be this big monument to his family, but he died while it was being built. And his family didn't want to use the money to finish the tower. So I guess they didn't want a very nice monument to themselves. And so it sits there unfinished today. You can see it, and it's called McCraig's Folly. McCraig's Folly. Isn't that interesting? Why? He was foolish to start something he didn't know he could finish. It's just what Jesus is saying. Just, hey, if you're following me, you're starting on the road. You, a lot of you are starting. But, but let, me, let me try to get you all the way to the end. Because it might be easy right now, but there are going to be some hard moments, and I want to make sure you've counted the cost. So Jesus is uh, putting the bottom line up front. He's saying it's, it's me before everything else. It's him before them. So three very straightforward statements. We see them clearly in verse 26. If anyone comes to me 
and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Number two, verse 27, whoever does not bear his own Christ and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. See, see, just one, two, three, very clear, very easy to understand. And so I want to look at these in these three ways. First of all, Jesus over our relational world, verse 26. It's all the important relationships in there. And I think we can understand that Jesus wasn't actually saying, hey, you need to go home and hate your parents. He loved his mother. He told people to obey the command, honor your father and mother. It's a way of speaking to get people's attention. And he's not demanding that you hate your parents, but he is demanding that you prioritize him over your parents. Him over your children. Him over your brothers and sisters. Him over you, even your own life. Jesus takes the priority. So your, your passion, your, your desire, your priority for Jesus is so supreme that when another relationship sort of comes into that universe, as important as it may be, if it starts becoming a distraction or it starts moving you off the path, then they move off the path. Does that make sense? I mean, these are important people, and they can be very close to you, and they can help you along, but if somebody comes in and starts moving you away, then you're going to be moving them away because you don't want them in any way to jeopardize your relationship before, b- between you and Jesus because it's him before any way, anybody else. And I, I don't want to minimize this in any way. I don't want to speak cavalierly. I don't want to minimize the potential pain because for some of us here, we, we have felt this pain. With a parent, with a spouse, with a brother or sister, a child, they're, they're not on the same journey as you are with Jesus. And these people mean more to you than anybody. But you get together with them and they draw you away. They, they don't believe what you believe. They want to walk in a different way. And for some people, a lot of times it's women. You come to church all by yourself because your husband just has different priorities. He may not be hostile to what you think, but it's just not his, Jesus isn't his priority. So you have to make a tough decision every Sunday. Is it him before them some of you experience this at thanksgiving or christmas your child is no longer if they ever did follow jesus they have a different value system different ethics different morals and you you get together you love them but there's a clash you just feel it you know it's just like oh this thing is sits there between us and they just think we're whatever or you're whatever, and they're trying to drag you into their way of thinking. It's so difficult, so painful. Some of you may be right now at a tipping point or a fork in the road. You have a relationship that you've invested in with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, 
but they hinder your relationship with Jesus. They're, they're not encouraging you. They're not blowing oxygen on the fire in your soul about Jesus. But you've, you've made a lot of investment, and if, you, and if you make that demand, then you might lose them. You know what? It's him before them. I'm, I'm not trying to make it, I'm not trying to speak cavalierly. I'm just saying, in the end, you're going to choose one of these two relationships. And Jesus is trying to put the bottom line up front. I don't want anybody to be mistaken, Jesus saying, you're going to have these very important relationships, and some point in your life, it's going to have to be me or them. And you cannot follow me if you choose somebody else. Maybe you're right now at some tipping point in your own life. It's your self-relationship. You have a job, you have a lifestyle, you have a hobby, you have a sport. And those things make demands to be priorities. I have to be there every Sunday morning or else I'm not on the team. I'm not part of the club. And see, those things make demands and you have to say, hey, is it him or them? In that case, is it him or, or me? And notice what Jesus doesn't say and you may wish he had said it. Jesus doesn't say, well, if anyone or anything takes priority of me, then you're just not going to be very, a very effective disciple. Does he say that? You might wish he had said it, but what does he say? If anything takes priority, you cannot be my disciple. Couldn't have made it any more clear. There, there's no JV squad. Him before them jesus takes priority in your relational world jesus takes priority in your emotional world verse 27 whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple now why would i say it this way jesus takes priority in your emotional world i say that because i want you to look back with me in chapter 9 verse 23 Jesus has a very similar statement. And he says to them all, Luke 9, 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What does it say? Daily. Okay, so when Jesus is saying take up your cross, he's not talking about one heroic action. Like something happens and then you've got to decide, I'm going to die for Jesus right now. That can happen in a lifetime. It's very rare. But it's more often that you've got to take up a cross every day. You've got to die to some desire every day. You've got to die to some other emotional need every day. Take up your cross daily. When the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2 that you're handing out the word of life, remember, like you're shining like stars in the universe, into what? A crooked and depraved generation. When you shine like a star in the universe, not everyone's going to be happy. There's a great article by somebody named Carl Truman. If you don't know this name, you should write it down. 
He writes in a bunch of different blogs. One of them is called First Things. He's written a number of important books, and he wrote maybe a week or so ago. It is now clear that Orthodox Protestants, specifically evangelicals, that's basically us, do not own the country anymore, if we ever did. The older generation, and here he's talking about me, who matured in the shadow of the battle for the Bible, assumed the, Bible would, the battle would be over Christian doctrine. Is the incarnation true, the resurrection, miracles? That's, that's the battle in the 80s. That generation lived in a world where belief in such things played no role in actual membership in wider society. You hear what he's saying? In other words, you can believe these things, but you can still, you can still traffic in wider society. It's not a big deal. Believing these doctrines might make you look foolish, but they didn't make you look evil. So basically you were okay. But those days are over. And leadership is ill-equipped for what is now happening. Being mocked for believing in miracles is much easier to handle than being hated as a bigot. That's today. It's now obvious the Christian position on key issues of membership in the society, sexual identity, gender, abortion, will merit you the title of bigot. We now need church leaders and thinkers who understand this and are prepared for the social consequences. Him before them. So I've got to be prepared, but I'm 59. I'm almost 60. But if you're 20, you're in high school or college, you've got to be prepared. Because I could believe in miracles or I could say I think the resurrection is true in the 80s and people are like, well, I think that's kind of nutty, but I like Paul. Come on in. But I think this way about sexual identity, you're a bigot and you're out. And you must be silenced and canceled. See, Carl Truman saying people are not prepared for this because we've come out of a world that we can still be in the world and just be looked at as a little nutty. And now you can't, you can't be in our world anymore. So are you prepared? Are you preparing? Because at some time it's going to be him or them. I was talking to a friend of mine, a young man who wants to get involved in a chaplaincy program in a secular business. And he was talking to me about it. It's very interesting, just a little program, especially being in a secular business. And he was excited about it, but he said, I'm nervous. I said, well, what makes you most nervous? He said, well, I put a target on my back. And now everybody will know, hey, he's the Christian guy. And he said, I already know because I know the environment. They're going to start coming at me with these kinds of questions. And I don't know if I'm ready. And I said, well, what makes you most unready? You tell me if this sounds familiar to you. He looked at me and said, Paul, you know me. I want to be loved. That's my Achilles heel. I, 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 under, I totally understand that. But if you want to be loved, it's going to be them before him.
by the culture, that is. If you want to be loved by Jesus, it's him before them. Do you see, you're going to have to make a choice. And Jesus is trying to put the bottom line up front in all these different areas, whether it's your relational or emotional compartments, it's going to be him or them. And then he gives us one more, verse 33, Jesus takes priority over your material world. In case he, anything sort of slipped through, he puts it all at verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You see the two absolutes there, anyone and all. Anyone. Maybe it'd be better to say everyone who follows. Everyone who follows this net statement is going to have to be true about. So there's, again, there's no SEAL team discipleship. There's no varsity JV discipleship. This is everybody who's in must renounce all. Some people must renounce some things. <laughs> who, who wants that one? I mean, that's easier to fit yourself into, right? I mean, I'm just some people, and some of the times I've got to renounce some of the things, but it, that's not how Jesus sets it up. It's any, anyone, everyone. And this has to be true about you. You must be willing to renounce, open hand, all things. Now, some people took this to the extreme, and perhaps you're called to do that. Not all of us are, but we're all called to be open-handed. There's a pretty famous missionary, and, but you may not have heard about him. His name is C.T. Studd. It's a great, great name, C.T. Studd. He was born into a wealthy family in the 1800s in England. He went to Cambridge. His father's parents were some of the wealthiest people in England. He was also a very famous cricketer, which is the most popular sport over there at the time. So he had all the wealth and all the fame, and he met Jesus. And he felt called to world missions. So in going, he had since married his wife Priscilla. In going, he decided, I can't go and have my inheritance just sitting here in England kind of like a safety net, like, like the guy who, who's out on the tightrope. Well, if I fall, I've got the net. He's like, I can't have the net because then I, I won't know for myself if I'm really all in. So he took all of his money and he gave it away. Except for a little nest egg, and most wives would appreciate this, for Priscilla, his wife. And he sort of tucked it away in case he died, something happened. When you go to Africa in the 1800s, a lot of things can happen to you. So if, if, he's, if he goes down, there's a little bit of money, turned out to be a lot of money, left over for his wife. His wife didn't know about it, and then she finds out about it. And she comes to her husband, and she says, You mean you can trust God by saying goodbye to everything, but I can't give it all away? That little nest egg today would have been about worth $5 million. Well, that's quite a nest egg. I'm all in. To renounce 
in the Greek means to say goodbye. Not everyone's called to be C.T. and Priscilla Stud, but you're a stud if you are. But we're all called to make sure nothing possesses us. And really, the only way to be sure is to give stuff away. To say goodbye. You know, we're going to take communion, and Jesus understands this cost. His relationship with the Father was more important than any other relationship. He actually did go to a cross. He actually did give up all things. All the glory that was due him, he gave it away. And if any, anyone, everyone who wants to follow, this is the way. There's not another way. There's not a half-hearted way. There's not a JV squad way. There's just one way. It's on the brochure right up front. So I want you to take your little communion cup for me. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're just here to learn about what Jesus wants from you. And this was a great sermon. I mean, I, yeah, that, that might have been self-serving. Um, <laughs> this was a great text. Because I'm trying to tell you, here's, here's the bottom line up front. Jesus is trying to help you understand. But many, if not most of us here, are followers of Jesus. And I just want you to open this up. And while I just do the elements here in silence, I just want you to hold them and think, what is Jesus asking me to say goodbye to? Might be a relationship. Might be some kind of desire. Might be a thing. Might be money. Let's take it eat. Lord, you divinely weave these sermons into a certain Sunday. And for all of us here, there's something we need to say goodbye to. And you know it and they know it. And we ask for your special presence, like at this communion table, to give us the strength to choose you, him, before them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.